So if you're wondering where we're at, we are at Crossroads Church, and we are looking at 2 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, what we call 2 Corinthians. And so I want to invite you to join me there in your Bible because we are uh, chapter 12. Go to chapter 12, verse 11. We are in this series that we call Renovation. And you've seen different pictures up there. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but just make sure that we're all, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. This idea of renovation, transformation, remodeling. God is in the business of remodeling lives. Amen? You can say amen from a personal experience, most of us. We can also say amen from a relational experience. In my case, it's been so good to see God really renovate my wife of 40 plus years. I do need a place to say this afternoon, or for lunch. Um, But seriously, she would tell you how amazing it is that God has continued to renovate me continues. He doesn't give up on that. And he renovates our marriage. So we can say praise God for renovation from our own life and how we've seen him work. And we could also say praise God for his heart for renovation in the lives of those that we love. Amen? Amen. So we've titled this series Renovation because it, it seems that Paul really wants to help the, the Corinthians with their identity. And we've, we've thrown these questions out. Who am I to Christ, in Christ? Who am I to him and who am I for him? And I hope that's bounced around in your heads and hearts a little bit. It continues to bounce around mine. What a great thing it would be every morning as a part of your routine to get ready for the life that is in front of you on that day to ask yourself those questions. Who am I in Christ? If you are in Christ, you've experienced the new creation, you've experienced the work of God, and there's a a new birth, born again, new life because of what God has done through faith when we put our faith in his work on the cross. If you've experienced that, how cool would it be to every morning, coffee, eggs, whatever you're doing, you're getting ready, getting dressed, brushing your teeth. What if you said, who am I in Christ? And that bounced around your head as you went to work or you went to school or you spent time at home, whatever it is you're doing. And what if you said, who am I to him? How does he see me? Sometimes I feel like he's forgotten about me. Sometimes I think that he's kind of far away. Sometimes I think he's mad at me. Who am I to him? How does he see me when he looks at me and thinks of me? And how cool would it be if I started every day by saying, who am I for him? As I move through the events of today, who am I for him? What am I going to agree with him that this is why I'm here today? And it would start for me with who? My my dog, Etta. Are you paying attention? Are you with me? Who would it start for me? My what? My wife, right? That's the first person I see. Unfortunately, I'm the first person she sees. And I I looked at her and said, what, what, who am I for him today? And it starts in my relationship as a husband, as a person. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Let's look at this next slide. Jesus is committed to renovation. Can I get an amen if you believe that? Okay, can I get an amen if you don't believe that? <laughs> okay. Do we believe Jesus? Do we believe that Jesus is committed to renovation? Do we believe that he will pay whatever price, go whatever distance it takes to transform a sinful person like me? He has, right? He's proven it. He's committed to it. I love these verses also by Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul, 
Everything that you've learned about Paul as we've gone through 2 Corinthians, put that into context. This is, that's that guy saying this. I am confident, I am sure of something. That he who began or started a good work in you, the renovation, the tear out started, I'm convinced that the one who started a good work in you will carry it on to, say with me, completion. That moment where they give you the final inspection, the occupancy, when the contractor asks for the one last check, and then he says, it's finished, it's done, there you go. The keys, anybody done a home build? Remember the home build, Matt, down in Mexico? That's the coolest moment when you do this home build, you pray and then you hand the keys to these people. The work is completed. Paul says, I'm confident. Everything Paul had experienced with the Corinthians and all the rest of his life, he was convinced that the one who is actually able to do life transformation, and guess what, it's not us. It's not working harder, it's not doing more. The one who does actual life transformation is committed to completing that process. So when you looked in the mirror this morning and you saw, you looked in the spiritual mirror maybe of his word, and you saw, you're honest and you saw what's there, don't raise your hand, but there's many days where like, oh man, I am such a work in progress. Is God really going to be able to finish what he started in me? And Paul says the answer is yes. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter five. This is kind of the heart, or maybe you might even say the theme verse of, of 2 Corinthians, this idea of renovation. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Does that sound like renovation? You gotta tear out the old, right? We're putting it, we're doing our kitchen still. I'll be doing it for probably a couple of years. One of the things we're going to get to do this week is we're going to get to move in the new stove. Yeah. Obviously, we haven't, I haven't suffered, but um, the new stove is coming in. But before the new stove can come, can come in, what had to happen? Yeah, the old one had to be taken out, carried out, and then I had to do some wiring and moving around and get the old had to go. Old things have passed away. They've been removed, and look, new things have come the transformation of God's working in our lives, the change in your thoughts and your attitudes and your behavior, the more and more you look like Jesus and less like you, that's the new creation that he's doing. Everything, this process, all of it is from God. How is this possible? Well, he reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, remember the three questions, who am I in him? There's a clue that, therefore, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's how he, that's the power of transformation. That's the power of renovation. It's the work of Jesus. Why is, how is it possible that I cannot be the same man that I was before Jesus? The power of the cross. And I think this is, I know it's important because the longer we're in church, the longer we're around church and the Bible and Christianity, there's a, there's a danger that we start to kind of think like we are part of this transformation process. And it often happens when we look at someone else and we go, wow, look at them. <laughs> look at me. 
And it, over time, it can kind of just creep into our thinking, and we need to be reoriented, anchored back to this truth. Who is it that transforms me? It's Christ. And how is that possible? What's the work of transformation? It's what he did on the cross. The new creation, the reconciling. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. See, something had to be, something old had to be removed from the, out of the way. Violet, your song, I don't know where she went, but Violet, the veil being torn is what she's speaking of. This idea that I can't come into the presence of God. There is a separation between me and him. These old things that are keeping me from him is my sin and the penalty for my sin. And what he did is he no longer counts their trespasses against them because he paid for them. They're covered. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So he's the, he's the contractor and I'm a subcontractor. You guys know what that is? Right? He's given me certain gifts and, and skills and passions. And you. And he says, I'm, the, I'm the, the Holy Spirit is the contractor. And he says, here's the work we're going to do. In you or in, you're teaching fourth and fifth grade kids. Here's the work we're going to do in them. Or you're going to go to camp and you're going to be with high school kids. Here's the work we're going to do. Or you're, you're going to serve in the, in the nursery and take care of babies. Here's the work. Is there work to do with, in the nursery? Oh, yeah. There's dirty work. It's got to be done. It's important work. I don't care what it is. The Holy Spirit, the general contractor says, here we go, here's the work we're gonna do. Kurt, what's your part of this? Well, I'm, I'm just a sub. Show me the plans. Tell me my part. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to be faithful in attending a, a local church and connecting with people and discovering life together. I want you to confess sin when, when you choose to disobey me. I want you to keep short accounts. I could go on and on and on and on and on. You with me? He gives me responsibility, and together we see this happen. It might be that we could call this the renovation of reconciliation. How do you like that? No? I'm all by myself. I thought that was cool. The renovation of reconciliation. The ultimate plan of renovation in my life and in your life is that I would be reconciled back to the relationship with him that I was created to have. Can you thank you? When I was created, before the world was created, God had in his mind, in his heart, here's the relationship I want to have with creation. And then we blew it. And sin marred it all up and put all the stuff in the way. And when he wants to do a work in someone, he's already paid the price, but he needs to do this renovation that brings me back into relationship with him. And as a result of being back reconciled with him, I now can be reconciled with who? Each other, one another, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want a title for this morning, here this next slide, 2 Corinthians, where we're at. And it's really chapters 10 through 12. Remember we talked about money he really, he really wanted to address some things with money. But starting in chapter 10 through where we're now, and by the way, last week is our last week. Brian Upton is coming. If you're listening, Brian, I want to confirm that you're coming next week. Um, he'll be up here next week to, to preach the last part of, of 2 Corinthians, and we're done with, with this series. Chapters 10 through 12, including what we're looking at this morning, is this idea of, of Paul trying to reconcile his relationship with the people in Corinth. And it's been kind of, Crazy and interesting, right? Right? 
this journey that he's taking with them. And you've heard from several, several of our teachers that have unpacked this text. And as we come to the end of this section, I'm, I'm calling it a foolish love. Because Paul, if we can go to the next slide, he starts out our text in chapter 12, verse 11, that I have become a fool. This is kind of his, and Matt and, and Jeff have both, and, 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 um, and Nate as well, we've all had a part in teaching through this section. You know, we've all kind of pointed out that this is just... Paul's like back and forth, right? He's trying to, you know, make things clear, and then he's, you know, looking at himself, and he's trying to, how do I communicate, uh, and boasting, and talking about stuff, and finally, he goes, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm a fool, but you made me do it. You made me do it. I have become a fool, but you forced it on me. I should have been endorsed by you. It literally means to stand with. You should have stood with me. Since I'm not in any way inferior to the, quote, so-called super apostles that you've been talking about, these false teachers that have interacted with the Corinthians, even though I'm nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed with great endurance among you. Who performed those signs of, the apostle, of an apostle? It was Paul, Timothy, Titus, some others that were a part with great endurance, not only signs but also wonders and miracles. So here's what I here's what I want to ask you to just take a trip with me, a couple of thoughts. What foolish love looks like. From God's perspective, we're going to see this morning that how Paul loved these people is not foolish at all, but from human perspective, it looks pretty foolish. Don't we don't we kind of get that? I mean, we we write songs about that, right? I'll be a fool for you. Have I ever been foolish for Becky? Okay, if you come to Trunk or Treat on any given year, okay, and you see me dressed up like a goofball in some kind of weird acting like Pharaoh or whatever, I only do that. I do, I do not enjoy that. It is, I don't think of those things. It's her going, hey, guess what we're going to do this year? Like, oh, uh, what are we going to do this year? You're going to be Pharaoh this year. Woo! You know, and you're going to be, and I go, okay, I love you. And then the event, the mo and I dread it, and then the night I'm out there acting like a goofball. Why? Because I love her. And I'll be a fool for her. So we kind of get that a little bit, right? From heaven's perspective, this is not foolish at all. I just want to be clear. But as we move through our time together, we're going to hear this phrase. And I want us to get this into our thinking and into our hearts. This idea of a foolish love. What does foolish love look like? Look at the next slide. Foolish love, based on those first two verses. Foolish love speaks truth into chaos and confusion. Paul has consistently, persistently spoken the truth of the gospel into a group of people that have had all kinds of other voices speaking into them, and there is chaos, spiritual and relational chaos, and at best, at worst, chaos at best confusion. Are you tracking with me? These so-called super apostles, let's call them what they are. They're false teachers. They're not proclaiming they're not teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're teaching what they want to teach to get the people to be loyal to them financially and relationally rather than to God or to Paul because Paul represents God. Anybody feel like there's like 3,000 voices speaking into your life right now? I'm gonna raise my hand. Between television and radio and the books and the podcasts and the, and the YouTube influencers and the TikTok influencers and the Facebook and 
Uh, so you know, you know, you know, I'm old because I don't know the, the current ones. But there are just there's countless voices that are that are speaking into our lives. And can we just be real? Can we be honest with each other that some of those voices of our own invitation? Seriously, I'm, I'm not bagging on social media. I'm not bagging on anything. I'm just wanting us to acknowledge that we each individually, I don't care if you're a teenager or a 60-year-old, you have a responsibility not to invite certain voices. You need to identify voices that are like these super apostles and cut them off. Stop listening to these voices that are saying things contrary to who God is. Voices that are not answering those three questions. Who, I, who am I in Christ, to Christ, or for Christ? They're lying to you, us. That's what Paul's saying 2,000 years ago. These super apostles are lying to you. Quit giving them your attention. And so the result is confusion and chaos. Have you not felt that the last couple chapters? Even from the speakers as we get up here and we're like, we've spent a week or a couple of weeks studying, we're like, this is confusing. I mean, what is he saying and why is Paul so? Because he's speaking into a moment that is filled with chaos and confusion. And what foolish does, love does in the midst of chaos and confusion, and I, I want you to think of just a specific moment. Maybe you're a parent of a teenager. And I was a parent of five teenagers at one point, and I survived. Praise God. There's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We love teenagers, but just saying. Think of a moment. I, I remember, this, and this is terrible. Don't ever do this. I, I should have not done this, and I read about it. that You don't do this. And I did it anyways. It seems like the morning drive, freshman, sophomore year, the morning drive from home to school is the best time to confront your teenager about a problem. I knew exactly how long it took to get to El Camino High School. I knew how much time I had. I had the points in my head, and I'm going to convince my teenager that they were wrong, what they did, and that dad is right. How many times did it go well? <laughs> big fat egg. Yeah, you're right. Big fat zero. Think about the moments in your life, the people that you love, at work, your family, your neighbor, your spouse, and the chaos and the confusion when we're having the, on, on social media, on Facebook, and, you're, and you're, you're reading these posts and you're moving into these moments and it's just filled with chaos and confusion and anger and all this stuff. What, is, what does foolish love look like? Paul just kept speaking truth. Did you, can we go back to those two verses on the slide? The 2 Corinthians 12. Go back just to, I think, or one actually, sorry. Yeah. He just keep, has his message changed? No, it hasn't. He's expanded and he's tried to make points. But his message has been the same. I was sent to you by God. The road to Damascus, God said, go to the Gentiles. And he came to Corinth before anyone else did. And he came as an apostle because an apostle is a messenger sent by Jesus himself. An apostle in that day had to have a personal sending, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Did Paul have that? He did. He had it on the road to Damascus. And God said, go. Go to the Gentiles. And he did, and he came to Corinth, and he presented the gospel to them. And he reminds him here again, guys, this is, I've been consistent. I just keep telling you the truth. And I did the works, and I did the miracles that backed up the message of who Jesus is, who we are in him, who we are to him, and who we are for him. Go back to the point, please. Foolish love speaks truth into chaos and conviction. Now here's, here's the rub. This may not be the first thing that comes to our mind when we're facing a moment of chaos and confusion. Can I tell you what my first thing is? 
I want to be right. And I want to make sure she knows I'm right. I backed up because she might be able to reach me from there. I'm just saying. And, and you might have that or you might be something else. Your first inclination might be to run. It might be to give up. It might be to cut off the relationship or close the door on it, move on. I want something easier. Foolish love, this love that Paul displays for us, consistently speaks truth into the chaos, into the confusion. Can, can we say amen to that even if we're not there yet? That, that, that is, is that not what God does? Does God not consistently, if you let him, if I let him, if I shut off the other voices and I listen to his voice, 61 years old, whatever many years, 50, maybe close to 50 years of knowing him, being rescued by him, he has always, 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 always spoken truth into the chaos and the confusion of my mind and my heart. Every day, if I'll listen to him. He's never wearied. Next slide. Here's Peter's take. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Peter knows that it's the end of his, his life on earth and what we know is his second letter. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I consider it right. I consider it good. As long as I am in this body, this physical body, this tent, to keep waking you up with the reminder, knowing that I will soon lay aside this body, this tent, as the Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me. And so I will make every effort, every effort. I will give myself, Peter says, this foolish love. I will give myself, make every effort that you may be able to recall these things, that you would know the truth and have it at any time after my departure. Can I suggest to you that this is the word of God that Peter is, is writing, and we have it today, that the word of God is God's expression of his foolish love for you and me to keep speaking truth into our chaos and our confusion. Because that's what foolish love does. Whether it's a parent, a spouse, a ministry leader, if you're working with youth or kids, outreach, whatever it is that you do in this body, foolish love just keeps speaking truth into the chaos and the confusion. Next slide, 2 Corinthians, back to our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 to 15. So, in what way were you treated worse? Let's go back to the comparing Paul and these, these super apostles. In what way were you treated worse than the other churches except that I personally did not burden you? He's talking about money. Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to come to you this third time and I will not burden you for I am not seeking what is yours. I'm not coming to take. But really what does the foolish love care about? You. I don't want what you have. I want to be a part of you. I want a relationship with you. I want us to experience life together, you and me. For children are not obligated, these are his spiritual children, children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Parents have a responsibility to their children. I will most gladly spend whatever resource I have and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Here's the second point of what foolish love looks like. Foolish love sacrifices to serve the good of others. Now come on, this is our natural tendency, right? I wake up every morning and I think, how can I serve my wife today? Oh my goodness, what can I, what can I not do? What can I, what, oh I really want to, no I don't want to do that. I just, honey what do you want to do today? What can I do for you? 
That's my natural tendency. No, it's not. The great theologian Tim Allen, right, taught us. He says, guys, every morning, that was a joke, every morning, just look over to your wife and go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being a man. I'm sorry for what I'm going to do today. I'm sorry because my natural tendency is not to put you first. I'm sorry. Foolish love makes whatever sacrifice is needed to serve the good of others. Now, there's a thread here of what he's been talking about all the way back to the money. He asked other churches to support his ministry financially. In Corinth, he chose not to, and we've seen some of that. And he, and he re-emphasized it here. He's a little bit sarcastic. Did you see that? And he's going to be a little more sarcastic still. But he says, how did I, how did I treat you? How, did, how are you less? How are you less important? How did you not experience the relationship of an apostle and the spiritual children? Oh, that's right. I didn't take money from you. Whereas the super apostles were really good at. And so he says, I don't want what you have. I want you. I want a relationship with you. Does that sound like somebody? Sounds a whole lot like Jesus to me. I want you. I'll give you gifts. I'll give you, I'll give you resources. I'll, but that's not what matters to me. You know, we talk about giving and we give generously. And, and, and man, just God did amazing things in July. And we have other history of that too. And God just showing up and doing it. It's, it's not about the money. It's not about the amount. You remember Jesus and the disciples and the widow gives a half cent? And he's more excited about that and he's derogatory about the people who gave a bunch of money. So we have to pause and go, hold on. What, what, what are heaven's values? What's important to God? That he has us. See, the widow says, it's all I got, but God, I know you got me. And so here's all I have to bring you. It's not much. In fact, I'm embarrassed. It's so little, but it's yours because I know you got me. Violet, I know he's got you, right? That's what he wants. He wants us. Foolish love sacrifices to serve the good of others. Now, husbands, this applies to us. Wives, this applies to you. Parents, teenagers towards your parents. This love that God talks about, this foolish love that we could point at the cross if you want a symbol of it. The foolish love that Paul is displaying that God calls us to is to sacrifice yourself for the good of others. That's crazy. But it's the model we have in Jesus Christ. Would you agree? Look at Philippians chapter 2. If you don't believe me, Philippians chapter 2. In humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Man, do you feel pushback in your heart and your thinking to that? I do. Like, hold on a second. I love my wife, but consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not out only for his own interest. Don't just be aware of your needs and, and what you're interested in, but also make space, create space in your life. How do you create space? You let go of things. You lay things down. If you're going to pick something up for God, he's going to ask you to put something down. Don't just look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude like who? Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? Well, he existed in the form of God. He's eternal God in heaven, and yet he did not consider equality with God. That, that place where he's recognized as God and all of his power is on display and his glory is unquestionable. He didn't consider that as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he laid it down. 
Do you realize Jesus models for us the Father saying, go and take on human form? And Jesus says, absolutely. And he empties himself. What did he empty himself of? Being God? No. Fully God, fully man. But he did lay down his glory. He did lay down that position at the right hand of the Father where Isaiah 6, we're told that's speaking of who? Jesus. That the Gospel of John tells us that's Jesus. And he's there and he's worshiped and everybody just says, holy, holy, holy. Look, it's you. It's God Almighty. And instead he comes down and takes on human form and he walks around where everybody makes fun of him, teases him, rejects him, misunderstands him, and eventually they'll whip him and spit on him and then nail him to a cross. What did he empty himself of? What did he lay down? He laid down his rights, his glory to be recognized. Is he still God? Yes, that's what makes it so dramatic and so amazing that not, he's still fully God and yet he lays down. He had such a right to that and he laid it down for the good of others. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave and taking in the likeness of men. When he had come as a man in external form, this human body, he humbled himself I become obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Can you go back to the slide of the main point? Would you say that describes Jesus? Show of hands. Anyone with me? Foolish love sacrifices to serve the good of others. If you want a symbol, here's where I've landed. That cross is a symbol of foolish love. Makes no sense. I was talking with somebody this morning. We were talking about how cool it had been in the middle of all that mistreatment and crucifixion that Jesus just pulled out the Thor hammer, you know, okay. <laughs> and, you know, now I know I'm mixing metaphors and all kinds of stuff. But just the idea of Jesus going, that's it! You know, and I picture it in my mind. And he could have done it, could he not? And would he have had the right to do it? Absolutely. And yet Paul uses this phrase, I'm willing to spend whatever I have and to be spent. Just as Jesus did. Let's go ahead two slides to the, back to our text, 2 Corinthians 12. Now granted, I've not burdened you, he's coming back to the money thing. Yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. Here's his sarcasm. But seriously, did I take advantage of you by anyone I sent to you? When I, when I sent the brother that were, is not named, or Titus, when I sent these others to you, did they not treat you the same way I did? We weren't there to get money from you for us. Now, don't forget, was there money involved in this relationship? There was. Remember, he wanted to take up a collection for who? The Christians in Jerusalem. See, we're kind of we're getting, if we stop there for a minute, maybe we can add two and two together and go, oh, I get it. Paul didn't want to take money from them to support himself. He wanted them to be fruitful and have a part in this collection of this part of the world, Macedonia and Achaia, these two different times, and that together they would be a part of this blessing the church in Jerusalem. He wants their resources to be used for that, not for him. You get it? You get his heart? Did I take advantage of you by anyone I sent to you? I urged Titus to come, I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did they ask for you to support them, to ask for money outside of this gift for the Jerusalem church? Didn't we all walk in the same spirit and in the same footsteps? Didn't we model it the same, this foolish love? You have thought all along that we were defending ourselves to you. Pause with me. You, you guys think that this whole argument, this whole discussion is about us and what we want from you. Listen to what he says. No, in the sight of God, all of this has been about this. 
We are speaking in Christ, and everything, dear friends, is for building you up. You guys are stuck on this money and different things and comparing me. Let me just clear the, 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 the smoke. The issue is all of us that have ministered to you, it's all been about building you up in your faith. It's not about us. It's not about us getting money, not getting money. Go to the next slide. Here's the point. Foolish love is motivated by the hope of renovation. Paul was convinced that God would continue to work in the Corinthian people and that the renovation would continue. It's all about building them up. Do you hear him? He's saying all that we've been through, here's the bottom line, I just want you to be built up in your faith. That's why all this is happening. Go to the next slide, real quick. Okay, maybe not that one. This is, their, this is my fault, not theirs. There you go. I'm not, no, go, you, were, you were at the right one. First, first, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Okay. Because I, I want need to move a little quicker. Foolish love is motivated by the hope of renovation, building them up. Look at verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want. You're not going to be at the place spiritually that I want you to be. And I may not be found by you to be what you want. There's going to be this brokenness, this problem in our relationship. And so here's what I'm worried about, that when I come and he's planning to come visit, there's going to be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence. And I will grieve, Paul says, I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and promiscuity that they practice practiced and it is past tense go to the next slide please foolish love not only is motivated by the hope of of reconciliation he believes transformation can happen but it also won't back down or give up in the face of opposition i mean paul's had a lot of setbacks in his journey with the corinthians would you agree now, some think this is referring to 1 Corinthians and the brother in sin. I don't. There's other scholars who don't, who stand with me. Remember where they're living. They're living in this culture called uh, California, uh, Corinth, sorry, Corinth. And there's all kinds of opportunities to, you know, and he talks about, he's, the word really is past tense. But it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that the flesh, the old way of life, is not fully crucified, and they may not be practicing it, but they're defending it or saying that it's not that bad. You ever heard, you know, that's wrong for me, but it's okay for them. You know, that kind of thinking. And he says, I'm concerned that when I come, there's going to be all this discord and fighting and quarreling, and there's going to there's be this unrepentance, because repentance, true repentance, is not that I just stop sinning, but I call it what it is, and I see it the way God sees it. And I said, that's just, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God says it's wrong. Yeah, but look, there's ways to do, no. There's not ways to do it. There's not ways to do that. People can't do that and still follow Jesus. There's a, that's a problem. Repentance means we turn around and we walk away from it. And what comes out of our mouth is not defending what was or what others are doing. It's not putting people down. It's not ripping on people. It's owning that sin is sin and not only am I done with that, I'm not going to play with it. I'm not going to, you know, toy with it. I'm not going to get as close to it as I can without actually, you, you with me? No? 
Yes? Foolish love doesn't back down or give up in the face of opposition. Go to the next slide. This is the one that I was trying to jump to. A couple of thoughts real quick. My time is almost gone. Opposition is the tactic. It's the brainchild, of you, if you wish, of Satan. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the powers of darkness. It is Satan, this one in rebellion against his creator and wants to take down everything that God cares about and loves. But here's the reality. Almost, opposition appears in the form of a human being walking in the flesh. And that can be someone who only has the flesh and doesn't have the spirit of God, and they're doing what they naturally do, and that's creating opposition and pain and problems in our life. But hold on, it also happens in the body of Christ, in the people of God, where someone who has the Holy Spirit is not walking in the spirit, they're walking in the works, they're living in the works of the flesh, which he just named a bunch of them. Did you see that? The quarreling and the dissension and the fighting and the arguing and all that kind of stuff. Unrepentance. I want to be really clear. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. But the reality of our experience, and I want to bring it back to this idea of foolishly loving people, the reality is it almost always appears in the form of someone in our lives walking in the flesh, not the spirit. And that's going to be the pushback, the pain, the loss that we're experiencing. Now why does that matter? It matters in this moment because Paul had experienced that from the church in Corinth. And what did he do? He just, he wouldn't back down. He wouldn't give up or back off. Here's the second thought. Paul would not let go of God's renovation plans for the Corinthian church. Praise God. God would not let go of his, Paul would not let go of God's renovation plans for Crossroads and Carmichael. Praise God. I don't know if Paul even knows we exist. I don't know what he can see in heaven, but I do know this, that God will not give up. He won't let go of his renovation plans for us, even in the ugly face of arrogance and unrepentance which is what Paul is describing in this text. He says you're arrogantly selfish, all this division, all this stuff going on, and there's unrepentance in you, but Paul keeps showing up and he keeps coming. He says, you know what? I'm not gonna let go of the renovation plans that God has for you. You want leaders like that? Do you? You sure? Okay, that's the kind of leaders we wanna be. Amen, leaders? Our elders and deacons that are here this morning, is that the kind of leaders we want to be? It is. It is. Go to the next slide, please. Our time is... 2 Corinthians, the last part of our text. In our Bibles, it's the next chapter, but it's a continuing, continuing this thought. He says, look, this is the third time I'm coming to you because he's planning to come in person. Every fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Everything that we're talking about, everything that I'm claiming... This foolish love that he's modeling. So I gave a warning when I was, everybody say number one. That was pathetic. Everybody say number one. <laughs> I gave a warning when I was present the second time he was there. And now I give a warning, everybody say number two. Yeah. While I am absent to those who sinned before and to all the rest. And if I come again, I will not be lenient since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. Everybody say number three. He's not weak towards you. He's powerful among you. In fact, he was crucified in weakness. That's a reference back to Philippians 2. He let go of his glory and power and submitted to the Spirit of God. He allowed people to, to flog him, beat him, spit on him. He took on weakness. And then he allowed those guards, when they spread his hands out, he allowed them to nail him. That's what Paul's referring to. He was crucified in weakness. He, he wore that. 
but he lives today by God's power. Don't be deceived. What you saw on the cross doesn't mean that he is not almighty God and all-powerful, for we also are weak in him. Remember earlier I said, I'm really nothing. It's not me, yet towards you we will live with him by God's power. All right, my time is done. Go to the next slide, the brown one, real quick. If you guys want to know more about this, we can talk, but I just wanted to show you this. This is, this is the commitment of a foolish love. His first visit was in 50 to 52 on his second missionary journey. His first letter came at the end of that in between 52 and 55. We don't have that letter. Paul's second letter in the spring of 55 AD is what we know as 1 Corinthians, it's in our Bible. Paul's second visit soon comes after that letter. He follows up with a personal visit. Paul's third letter, which he refers to as the severe letter, the letter of tears, is also lost to history. His fourth letter in 57 AD is called 2 Corinthians, we have in our Bible. And then soon after this, he comes as he promises and makes a third visit. Did you count that? Four letters, three visits to a single church. Why? It's foolish love. It's love that just continues to pour into people. Let me make this point, the next slide. Foolish love never gives up on God's power to transform. Give me one minute. Next slide, the last two slides. And Jim, I know you're in the house and he's gonna lead us in a time of prayer if you wanna make your way up here. I wanna call this application, you wanna call this what do I do with it, here's the first one. Love one another with the foolish love. Love your spouse with a foolish love. Love your kids with a foolish love. Love your teenagers with a foolish love. Your servant in the youth group, love the young people with foolish love. You're at camp for a week with a bunch of blunder boys, love those blunder boys with a foolish love. Love your neighbor with a foolish love. Love your coworkers and your boss with a foolish love. Love that family member that you can't stand, love them with a foolish love. Love the person sitting next to you with a foolish love. And there's a, refer- there's a review of what that looks like. Do you see it? Speaking truth into chaos and confusion, sacrificing to serve the good of others, motivated by the hope that we have in Christ of renovation. I won't back down, I won't give up, even when there's opposition, internally or externally, and I will never, ever, ever give up on God's power to transform people's lives, whoever it might be. Love one another with a foolish love. Come on up, Jim, I'm gonna make these last points and it's, it's yours. Can I encourage you to stand with your leaders? That's what Paul is, was saying there. You should have endorsed me. You should have just stood with me. Amen, amen. You're gonna make me cry, but amen. Stand with your leaders. We're imperfect, flawed people. But I can speak with confidence that the leaders God has raised up in this church are like the Apostle Paul and are committed to loving you with a foolish love and loving one another in our flaws with foolish love. Stand with your leaders. Number three, embrace God's renovation in you and in this church family. That's his heart for you. He wants to transform you and move you into, into proximity with him so that you look more and more like him and less like me. Isn't that, can you say amen to that? Okay, I'm gonna give you one more chance because that should have been a big amen. He'll work in me so that I look more like him and less like me. That'll be a good thing. Okay, don't hurt yourselves shaking your head so violently, but it is a good thing. Let's embrace God's renovation for me, for us, and for this church family. And finally, I, I don't know how to say this with enough emphasis that it would penetrate through our fear and through our, our discouragement and our anger, but hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ.
And we say amen, and I'm with you, but it's easy to say it now. I'm thinking about that person that's driving you crazy. It might be your spouse. Hold on to the hope we have of transformation in Jesus Christ. You might have a person, a child, or a teenager in your life that is just, it's this all the time. Hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ to transform a life. That neighbor, that coworker, if it's true, the person next to you. Some of you may have came in this morning and thought, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Don't give up. Hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jim, come lead us in prayer, and as you're doing that, I just want to point our hearts right here. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is how committed Jesus is to us. This is the power to transform even me. And if he can transform me, brother, he can transform you, and he can transform everyone in this, in this room and in our lives. Amen? 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 Please be seated. Jim, take us to the throne, please.